Hi, my name's Diana Trepkoff, and I'd like to welcome you to my new podcast called Can I Help Find Your Missing Loved One? I'm a forensic artist who's completed hundreds of law enforcement cold cases, and I can tell you firsthand the pain and suffering I have witnessed on families of missing loved ones. I can see the pain on their face, I can hear the pain in their voice, and I feel it in my heart. My dream is that all missing persons will be found and there will never be another missing person ever again. That's what I pray for. That's what I hope for. And that is my dream. So please welcome my new podcast, Can I Help Find Your Missing Loved One? And one by one, let's bring these missing loved ones home. Thank you. my podcast called Can I Help Find Your Missing Loved One? Well, I'm really excited and honored to have Chuck Nash on as our expert guest right now. Um, Chuck's been with Durham Regional Police from 1987 to 2020. That's 32 years, and that's amazing. He retired as the inspector in the East Division at DRP, and um, thank you so much, Chuck, for being on. I think you're great, and you have a good heart, and I know you'll be able to give lots of good advice to people. Well, thank you very much. I sure have enjoyed working with you over the years. Great. Um, yeah, likewise. And I was just like looking through some of the news and I remember in Canada AM when we were in the green room with Christine Firth and Murray Rose, you and me, and I guess we we're all a bit nervous back then. That was about a decade ago. Can you believe that? Almost 10 years. That's hard to believe. And I, sure do remember the nerves and uh i think that's the first time i ever had makeup applied like that as well oh that's funny that's <laughs> funny and then beautiful beverly thompson she was the one interviewing yeah. us yeah it and, was great yeah so i guess let's begin with um why did you want to become a police officer uh you know it all stemmed from uh some friends that i had when i was growing up uh, were involved with the police and I had one role model in particular that I grew up with in Bowmanville, who really had a profound influence over my, you know, sort of developmental years. And then when I became interested in policing, uh, certainly became a mentor to me and guided me throughout my career. And we still remain close friends. So um, in addition to that, uh, I guess policing, like most officers, you're attracted to it because uh, you want to help people, you want to help community. And also, I'm a very curious person by nature. I always like being in the know and know, know what's going on. And I've always been infatuated with uh, investigative type TV shows and and the like. So it really did start at a young age for me. Very good. Um, yeah, and it shows because I know you're very passionate about it. So who was that person that had the big influence on you? Uh, that was Craig Greentree. Nice. Yeah. nice. Craig retired a few years ago, and uh, but we still remain friends. And uh, actually, I got to return the favor because his daughter's now an RCMP officer, and I was uh, interviewed as one of her references. So, you know, what uh, goes around comes around, and, you know, she's off uh, and having a great career with the RCMP now. Oh, good for you. And that that's cool. That's so true. What comes around, what, what you put out, you get back. I believe that. 
Um, so it's funny because my daughter is going into policing and I said to her, I'm going to be interviewing Chuck Nash. And she says, oh, cool. And I said, what should I ask him? And she goes, ask him what advice would he give future police officers that he would have done different? Um, for me, uh, I can't really say I would do anything different from my career. Okay. Um, I had a very fulfilling career. I always wanted to be a homicide detective. And that was sort of like, besides being promoted to the rank of inspector, uh, being a homicide detective, I consider to be the pinnacle of policing, in my opinion. That, that was my interest. Uh, so I think policing, as you know, is so different today. Um, but I, I would just say to all the young officers, uh, just to, you know, stay true to the reasons why you wanted to be a police officer and never forget the excitement that you experience when you are hired by a police service. Uh, I mean, policing can have a profound effect on individuals, uh, certainly when it comes to uh, the emotional side of things and with everything going on in the media right now, uh, you know, and some hatred towards police. Mm -hmm. But to stay true, stay true to the cause, stay true to yourself. And you know what, it's a very rewarding career. It's provided a great life for me and my family. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy with uh, how, how my career went. Yeah, excellent. And um, that's right, my heart does go out to the police officers because they put their lives on the line every day to protect us, to save people. Like they're just, they do such an amazing job and I don't think they get the credit they deserve. And I don't like seeing um, a lot of backlash on the police. You know, that's why I always stand by yeah. the police and like, of course, there's bad apples and everything, but the majority are good. And you can't, you know, say the police aren't because of some that are not. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I certainly do. I can say from the bottom of my heart that I know that's true. I yeah. know the majority of officers out there are, are excellent people and serve their communities proudly. Um, yes, there's, uh, you know, bad apples in every bunch. And, yeah. You know, we were offended and disgusted with some of the things like everybody else. I mean, but let's focus on those individuals. You can't just, you know, blanket and paint everybody with the same brush. And it's really important. People are so quick to judge these days without gathering all the facts. Yes. I mean, you have to, it's easy to be an armchair quarterback these days and, you know, jump whatever political bandwagon you want, but you have to let the facts come out. Um, but it's just, that's the, the world's a different place right now. It is. Know. And, and, um, yeah, it hurts to see that, but I still believe there's so much good in the world. Like you're yeah. amazing. There's a lot of amazing people right. out there and everyone sticks together and the good will, will beat all the bad. I believe that we just have to, you know, yeah. keep hoping and stay positive. Yeah. I mean, and, and like your daughter and what I say to others, like my daughter's interested in a policing career as well. Awesome. And, you know, and others think, how can you support that? Are you crazy? Like with everything going on, why would you want to be a police officer? But you have to remember uh, the generation today, um, you know, the individuals that are becoming police officers, they, they grew up with this sort of media hype. They grew up being used to being recorded. Uh, they have a different outlook right from the get-go. Uh, policing changed drastically over the span of my career. So it's all relative. I mean, it's a rewarding career. Um, and I, I encourage anyone uh, to discontinue if they had a goal to be a police officer, just continue because we need good people in the profession. 
Yes, I, I agree. That's what I said. They need they need female officers. They need they need yeah. good officers. So I said, if your mm -hmm. heart's there, you just keep pushing. You're going to get it and never give up. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So let's talk about what case is closest to your heart that you can talk about. Um, well, I I have several cases, Diana. Um, the case that's closest to my heart, it, it doesn't have anything to do with missing persons and that, but it was the Kelly homicide. Uh, back in uh, 2008, where uh, three members of a family were brutally murdered and the uh, suspect was shot and killed by officers. Um, I became very close to that family, which is mm -hmm. somewhat of a no-no in the detective world. It's you, you try to remain distant. I mean, you can have a lot of empathy, but when you get too close, sometimes it can cloud your judgment and, you know, it, it causes extra stress on the detective when, when feelings uh, become personal and things of that nature. So I, I became very close to that family. Um, just the way the investigation unfolded, I mean, uh, the special investigations unit was involved. So it was a little slower mm -hmm. uh, for us because the SAU had the lead. Uh, so that just allowed me to get super close with the family. Um, so that one really does tug at my heartstrings a lot. So what what happened with that case so people could yeah. know? Yeah, so in that particular case, um, three members of the Kelly family were murdered uh, by the one, the stepfather. And then uh, he was daily shot. There was a lot of mental health issues at play uh, with the uh, suspect. Um, and uh, one of the uh, victims that passed away was three years old. Uh, there was also a five-year-old who was severely injured. And then um, Richard Kelly and his wife, uh, they were murdered as well. So, you know, the kids were pretty much orphaned and had to go spend time with family. So I became very close to that family and helped them, you know, get through some difficult times. And that's a pretty unique sort of circumstance uh, when it comes to our typical protocols and things of that nature. Like we're so focused on our work that we, we don't always become that close to the family. I mean, we're always there for them. And, you know, it's quite an ordeal uh, when you lose the loved one to, to violent means, especially. Uh, it's a long process, typically, uh, from the time you start investigation. And then typically, you know, if arrest is made, guiding them through the court process. And, and you live through that with these individuals. And uh, it's very important to have empathy um, that's a, it's a strong characteristic that uh, to be a good officer, you have to be empathetic. And that was, that was the case that really, you know, stuck with me. I have others. Um, of course, you know, I've investigated a few found remain cases and also missing person cases. Mm -hmm. Let me just uh, hold on one yeah. sec. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that. I just wanted to say, I think that that's what makes you like an outstanding you know, inspector, um, a person with the police service. I think it's so important. I know I've heard so many families say to me that, you know, they're working with the detectives and they, they feel they just care about the arrests and they're not really there for them. And I've been told, you know, by um, experts and private investigators like Diane, don't get so close to the families. And I said, mm -hmm. and cause I cry, I cry. I have nightmares. I stand by them. And I totally can relate with what you're saying because I think it's that's what will separate you from the rest. You're real, you have a big heart, and you stand 
buy them and they need that. They really, they need that from, from you, from a lot of people. And a lot of people stand back because it's like mental torture, you know? So I'm glad you did get really close with them. And I think that's why they're so in your heart, but it's also, Mm -hmm. you probably helped them more than you'll ever know because you showed that side of you to them. And that's so important. So I'm glad you're talking about that. And I'm glad you did that. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, I guess uh, another thing that I'm really proud of is when I was in the homicide unit, I actually developed a guide for uh, the families who lost uh, loved ones through uh, homicides. Mm -hmm. And it sort of explains, you know, the investigative procedures, because obviously families want answers and they want them now. And, you know, you can be on a case for several years and it's very difficult and can be quite distracting when, you know, you're trying to do your job, but you're always involved with the family. And there's certain things you can't tell them to protect the integrity of the investigation. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't disclose certain facts. There's, there's hold back evidence mm-hmm. that, you know, um, we, we have to maintain. So I think it's very important for families to understand because, you know, families can get frustrated with the police on these lengthy yeah. investigations. Uh, but, you know, take the time and explain to them, this is what it's going to be like. You know, there's things I can and can't tell you. Uh, we'll never lie to you. Uh, but, you know, uh, certainly there's, you always don't get the answers until you get to court. And that's mm-hmm. when, you know, the families relive it all over again because they're hearing things, uh, a lot of details for the first time. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, I know the police work so hard to get the arrests. And then, I mean, this is a whole different ballgame this but the justice system you know I know three people who just got arrested for a murder and you know I was trying to tell like the family I'm really grateful to hear that because sometimes people wait you know decades for that now we just have to find the body and then Mm -hmm. one just got out on parole for like two thousand dollars after being arrested after a week and I'm like oh my god he just got out (laughs) so And they admitted what they did. So that's the real, that's a tough part too, because the police work really hard to get the arrest and then, and then they're off, you know, I don't know, but I guess we won't go down that road. Um, No, like our job is to get them to the court and then it's really up to the court. And, and believe me, we feel it just as much as the families when, when things like that occur. Uh, But, you know, that's the way the justice system is. And we, we have to support that and, and, you know, just go from there. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about, you started mentioning the human remains. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the, I know you were always passionate and you always said you're not giving up on the 2006 human refa- human remains that were found near the Darlington nuclear plant. And I know your heart is there no matter what. What can you talk about that case? Yeah, that particular case, um, it was in the fall of 2006 when uh, skull was discovered just east of Holt Road and outside of the Darlington Nuclear Station. And as you know, found remain cases are very challenging in a number of ways. Yes. Uh, you know, especially when it, you can't identify those found remains. I mean, once you have established the identity, uh, then your investigation can go in several different directions. But without an identity, and no specific cause of death was ever determined on that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very difficult. And, you know, like throughout Canada, it seems like when you get a found remains case, you have to start from square one. 
there there isn't many places in, as an investigator or as a family member that you can go to and you know this is where everything is input from so this is where all our missing people are in one database all our found remains across Ontario and Canada are in one database so in this particular instance I learned a lot about those investigative protocols um, as you know we worked diligently on that investigation yes. in 2006 uh, we were able to eliminate hundreds of individuals as not being the found remains yeah. uh, through dental records DNA etc this particular case, as you're quite aware of and, and you helped out with, uh, was a female Caucasian, and this information comes from an anthropologist um, who assists uh, with this sort of investigation. And uh, she's a female Caucasian between the ages of 18 to 25, and she'd been at that location from two to 10 years, but perhaps longer. Uh, so, you know, when we're doing our searches of missing person databases, trying to match missing person to found remains, there's several things that we use. Uh, you know, the Canadian Police Information Center, um, the NCIC through the states, and even Interpol. And we were never able to match a missing person to our found remains. And, you know, it just remains a mystery. And you wonder, how does an individual end up in a field and you can't find out who they are? It, you know, it's mind boggling to think that there isn't somebody out there missing this individual and contacting their local police. Uh, so then we reopened the case in 2010, Diana, as you were, and you became involved with us. Yes. And, and thank you very much. Um, because what you provided was what the average investigator can't. And you have a whole host of networking. Uh, you were able to, uh, you know, get us on Canada AM. You, you did uh, your drawings and, and things of that nature. And that sort of exposure uh, is crucial to an investigation. And, and it's about the exposure because you, you just never know um, who you're reaching out to. So from our, our standpoint, we're so appreciative of all the hard work that, that you did uh, and the friendships that we developed. And, you know, that case, that case remains open. And, you know, that person deserves to be reunited with family. And it really eats away at you um, as an investigator thinking, you know, why can't I solve this? Why can't I reunite th this individual with their family? There has to be somebody out there. Uh, so it just kind of, it's one of those mysteries that you just can't shake. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that. It, doing the, I think it was, yeah, the two-dimensional facial reconstruction, I remember we were down at the coroner's office and yes. um, I was photographing the skull without the tissue, with all the tissue markers on it. And then I did the side profile and the frontal view. And yeah, it is, it is sad when we're not getting the answers fast enough, but I still believe like you did a hundred percent effort. Durham regional police was always there pushing it. I was pushing it. Murray, like I believe, one day we're going to find out who she is and it's going to be a big thank you to you. So like I said, even though you're not working there right now, I know your heart is still working there and I still believe she will be identified. So we have it in my book on the faceless voiceless on page 291. And then when we were on Canada AM and then also the Durham, um, what was it? Durham region news. That was March 8th, 2011. We had the press release. Remember, I think it was at the Durham regional police on Liverpool. 
So that, yes. so, it's, so people can Google that. They can Google Chuck Nash, Diana Trepkoff, and then the human remains found, and they can read all about that. And if anybody has anything they want to say or give a tip, they can call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Again, 1-800-222-TIPS. And um, yeah, that case I still, you know, worry about, but I, I have faith we're going to, someone will come forward. Something will come yeah. forward. Yeah, and you know what? It's very important for the families of missing persons. You need to, there's a lot of assumptions that I've recognized over the years. Families assume certain things are being done. They assume that a case is not actively being worked on. Uh, but, you know, in Durham region, there was only 10 of us for the whole homicide unit. And, you know, when it gets busy, a found remains case, unfortunately, uh, oftentimes gets, you know, put on the back burner, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you work at it when you can. So it's important for families to contact their local police agency. And let's make sure that everything's being done properly. Like I know in our case, uh, we have, you know, a full DNA profile. We have a complete dental record. And those, that sort of information is logged in certain databases. So as an investigator throughout, throughout Canada, if, if all of a sudden you post or add your dental records of a missing person to either the RCMP database or through the OPP, mm -hmm. then there's software that's going to generate potential matches. Yes. And that's the key. The database is only good as, you know, when you put information in. Family, families need to make certain that their records are on these databases and contact, you know, their local police or if there's an investigator in charge of the case, find out who that is and have a heart to heart. Make sure that that investigator reviews the dental records, for example, or the DNA, um, because there's all, all kinds of problems associated with collecting and interpreting dental records and um, as a shocker you know there's a bunch of them on our database systems that are loaded incorrectly because they're not done by the specialists mm -hmm. so these are things that you know when you think you've come to a dead end yeah. well no just just reach out and you know um, remain committed to to finding your loved one and you can do that by contacting the local police like let's make sure that we're doing everything we can to help identify these individuals. Yeah, that's very good points. And I interviewed Cece Moore as an expert guest. She's the genetic detective and completely outstanding. She um, helped to solve, hundred. I think she's over 130 now cases, rapists, that's murderers. Incredible. I know, I know. And what I love about her, like I, I, I truly love about her is that, again, like you, like me, like a lot of people we know, very passionate and has the empathy and really cares about the people and what she said, which is great. And I'm telling all families of missing persons, which I know like hundreds and hundreds, they have to put their DNA into five data banks. It's not just GEDmatch. It has to go into five. And then the chances are increased by millions to get a hit. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was amazing because a lot of people thought just in one, but what you're saying is yeah, the police, put the DNA in and now it's up to the families. The families didn't know the chances are increased that much when you put it into five. So the biggest news from her was submit DNA into all five data banks. And then on that episode, she explains which ones, but it's true. Yeah. Um, I think the families for the most part are proactive as long as they don't get sick. So I keep telling yeah. them, 
because my heart's with them. Just take care of your health. And they're like, nope, I got to find my son. I got to find my daughter. I said, I know, but if you don't take care of your health, you won't be able to search for them. And so it's, you know, it's really hard what they go through. And I know the police are trying as hard as they can to help. I'm trying as hard as I can to help as a victim's advocate, forensic artist. And now the podcast is to help, you know, use my voice, your voice, everybody. So we work together to make it easier for them. So I guess what I wanted to ask you before I forget is what advice can you give families of missing loved ones? We know about the DNA now. What else can you tell them from your heart, from what you've experienced? Yeah, I mean, um, and I, you know, I've worked closely with a family with a pretty historic case from my hometown. Uh, so the advice I give them is, you know, it's easy to say, you know, maintain your hope and be patient, things, all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's, it can destroy families and I, I've seen it. So I think it's, it's important to stay connected to each other, to support each other. Like I said previously, make sure that you're reaching out to the local police agency. Ensure that there's a report filed. Um, and, you know, we, can, we have certain techniques of, of, techniques of locating missing persons across Canada, the United States, and, and internationally. Um, you know, uh, and on that, that case, we were able to reunite some family members uh, with the people that had been missing and just alienated themselves from the family. So uh, really, you know, I guess my advice to those uh, individuals is just to try to maintain your hope. But I have a really uh, strong understanding of just how taxing it can be on, on families and relationships and, and the unknown, you know. And uh, rest assured that uh, officers are dedicated to finding missing persons and uh, to make sure that they're familiar with uh, the various web pages. I mean, there's all kinds of them on the internet, and there's a lot of web sleuths out there that, you know, they're trying to match missing persons to found remains to, uh, you know, join those sort of groups and, and do some research themselves. Because most times, as you know, families want to be involved. Yes. Uh, in the investigation. So I guess um, that would be my, my advice to, uh, you know, the loved ones of missing persons. Very good. And um, did you want to touch a little bit on the Noreen Greenlee case? Like, because you were yeah, working sure. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it all started for me uh, growing up as a, as a youngster. And my dad, when we would pass the location that Noreen was last seen in September of 1963, He'd always make a comment about that's where that Greenlee girl went missing from. Mm. Uh, you know, it was a main street. So when I was a, a homicide detective, um, I found the file and I was shocked because, you know, a case like that today, like a, you know, a Tory Stafford type of investigation, yes, you, you would have a very large investigative team and, you know, it wouldn't be unusual to have a thousand boxes, banker boxes worth of investigation. Well, I picked up two accordion files and that was it, you know, um, for a missing uh, 13 year old, that is unfathomable. And just how things have changed over the years, the way we investigate matters. And, you know, all the changes that came out uh, for major case management with the uh, Bernardo investigation, uh, ways that we can better communicate with other police agencies. Uh, but yeah, Noreen. Um, 
You know, you mentioned Bernardo. I get the creeps to yeah. his name, but go on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, Noreen went missing uh, from, uh, she had been out with friends uh, and was waiting for a bus stop. It was like 11 o'clock at night uh, and just vanished. And <laughs> there's never been a, a solid lead and or trace of her. And uh, I know the family is still very anguished about her disappearance and and I witnessed the, you know, uh, all the stress it has caused that poor family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and at times, you know, we want to tell them certain things, but you can't. There's a lot of misinformation within the investigative file, just how they did things back then. Mm-hmm. And you just can't fully disclose everything until, you know, maybe one day she is located. Uh, but, yeah, that's, you know, back in the day, they had big search parties for her and, just vanish without a trace and it's just hard to believe you know people can just disappear yeah and, yeah and then all the fear for all the other families you know they probably all got worried and scared will their child disappear like that and yeah like you were saying it did have a big impact on them i remember you know speaking with shelly greenlee and what she went through and and sadly she mm-hmm. passed away you know and and yep. the whole greenlee family it's it means so much to them to find Noreen and I know yeah. it's not easy and I know people call in the tips but who knows what's real what's not but it is a, a heavy case on my heart like I'm sure on yours and it I hope something will come you know I hope they will find her just to have that peace in their heart or to have some healing begin you know yeah yeah exactly and I mean you, you can talk about closure and I mean I think it's closure is a difficult subject yes uh, but certainly having answers to all their questions would be a blessing you know they they deserve that they've been through a lot and uh you know they just they deserve those answers and they deserve to be reunited with noreen even all these years later you know it's nice to know where they are that's that's the biggest thing right with with missing person cases they they want to know where they are they they want to have them back you know regardless of the circumstances and you know if they're deceased they, they just want them back yeah they need a place to go to 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 pray and visit them or they need something I, I agree um so you started off let's start off with the career at the beginning so when you went okay. on just let's hear the different ranks and stuff like that oh, okay yeah so i started in uh, 1987 at the age of 21 years old. Oh, that's uh, so cool. <laughs> I just barely started shaving, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was pretty young. And yeah. I started in Oshawa, and I worked on frontline patrol for three years. And then I was fortunate. Uh, I got into the very first street crime unit uh, in 1990, where we investigated uh, a lot of the uh, youth crimes and street gang activity that was happening at the time Uh, so I did that for three years went back to uniform for a while but I've always wanted to be an investigator and then uh, finally I got into a detective office in the year 2000 where I was exposed to a lot of different cases Uh, you know homicides attempt homicides missing persons abductions and kidnappings Uh, and that really uh, sort of paved my way into the homicide unit where I was worked for 10 years. 
and then uh, worked on several large-scale cases there uh, before being promoted to the rank of staff sergeant. And I took over a platoon in Oshawa for a few years, and then I got promoted to inspector and moved to East Division in Bonneville into the brand-new building there where I commanded 104 officers and eight civilians. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. I remember when I popped in there and it was like a beautiful, beautiful building. Everyone was so nice, positive, happy, so clean. It was just, it was just, uh, it was, it was great. And it looked like you like really, really loved your job and it showed. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I, I love the job and I love all the individuals that were, uh, I worked with and, you know, we had a good team there. Um, and they, they made my job really easy. Let me tell you, we had a lot of great officers out this way. Very good. And, and you're great at what you do. So I think that's why it all works out. So what are your passions? What are your passions in life? My, my passions in life? Well, first and foremost is family. Yes. I come from a, a very large family. Uh, my, my parents were both from Cape Breton. And uh, my dad had 17 brothers and sisters. So as, you, as you can imagine. Uh, I have a lot of cousins in the world and wow. uh, several, several Chuck Nashes. I mean, there's like one of five Chuck Nashes. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, so, of course, I'm very passionate about family, uh, friends. Uh, I really enjoy cooking. Uh, I'm an avid golfer. I uh, enjoy that. And just being with family and friends. And I have a cottage that, you know, provides me that escape that I need, you nice. know, after all those long hours of work. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, and I still remain very passionate about police work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm very concerned with everything going on in the world today. And, uh, you know, I, I support all my brothers and sisters. And uh, so I, I still remain very passionate. And I, what I miss most of all is, you know, I'll hear a siren, I hear something. I'm so used to just clicking on a radio and being in the know. Yes. Well, now, now I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And that's been an adjustment. Yeah. Like when you always have, when you always have your finger on the pulse, so to speak, yeah. all of a sudden yeah. it's like, what am I going to do? Rent cocoon and just, you know, yeah. <laughs> wither away into my old age. But yeah. So now, and uh, I'm, I'm really concentrated on getting back in shape uh, because years behind the desk certainly had their toll on me. Oh, you look uh, the same. You look the same. Oh, <laughs> you're too sweet. <laughs> yeah, we were, me and Marty were at your retirement and that was great. And the chief Paul Martin was there, Murray Rose, Christine, yeah. your wife, your daughters, you have a beautiful wife, beautiful daughters. Talk Thank a little you. bit about them. Yeah. So my uh, wife works for the Durham Regional Police. Uh, she's a supervisor in the communications and, uh, nice. the, and the training coordinator. Uh, my oldest daughter, Emily, who's 26 is becoming a teacher and she's uh, just accepted a, a full-time placement for this year out in Coburg. Nice. Uh, where she'll be teaching English history and indigenous studies. Oh, good and for her. my, yeah, my youngest daughter, Brooklyn is uh, just turned 21 and she's in her last year at uh, Laurier where she's um, taking criminology with a minor in policing and indigenous studies. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're keeping me busy. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, everybody's on the right track. That's really good. So when yeah. you like when you were working on those heavy cases, because there's a lot of, I guess, advice for me now I could ask, which I haven't even asked on the podcast yet to anyone. Okay. Yeah, you're perfect to ask this. So 
a lot of cases, well, I wouldn't even call them cases. The families I got to know are special in my heart. They're so sincere and genuine and their missing loved one is in my heart. And, you know, when you stand by them for so long, it's a part of your life. And then, you know, I have nightmares. Um, I walk around sometimes sad thinking, Diane, snap out of this. Come on. And then Gil, who's the private investigator and NYPD first grade detective retired. He was there 28 years. And he'll say to me, Diane, don't get so involved. Don't cry. You're not going to be able to help the family the way you want to. You need to look at the bigger picture. And I'm like, okay, it's good advice. How do I do that? He goes, just don't get so involved emotionally, which I find mm-hmm. hard. So yeah. what do I do for the lightness to balance it? I'll watch Flintstones, 90210. Um, what's his name? What's that guy's name? Um, Columbo. Oh, Columbo. That's close. Yeah, I'm watching Columbo right now. And I'm like, great, it's still about murders. But anyways, I'll try and do the balance. I'll go swimming, um, take the dogs for a walk. And then I'm gonna actually me and Marty are gonna golf on Friday. So it's, you know, we'll see. Hopefully I can do a pretty good job. But what, how do you not? How do you not have the nightmares? How do you have more of a balance? Because I feel... I can't step away and it doesn't matter what anyone says. I still am right there, but then I feel like I need, I need to be able to sleep so I could be stronger to help them. I think, um, yeah, you can't let it consume you. And for me, ironically, uh, a number of years ago when I was in homicide and I was involved with three infant death investigations over the span of a week. And, and, uh, yeah. Those, those, uh, like the examination on the infants takes place at the hospitals for sick children then. And I was speaking with the pathologist and, you know, it was my third time with him in one week. And it was just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm having these weird thoughts in my head, like, and we're so used to, you know, nurturing and, you know, taking care of infants and, and when, when you see that sort of an examination being done, it, it, it really, you're like, how do you not? Yeah. How do you not take that home with you? But that particular pathologist gave me the best advice that stuck with me throughout my career. And I have shared this with many an officer and I'll share it with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a task, we have a job to do. So I do understand the importance of, if you become too close, it can cloud your judgment. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, that's what drives you and individuals like you. It's that empathy. It's that you're feeling it and it, it, it motivates you. Yeah. Right. So you, you need a certain part of that. But what this doctor said to me, he said, do not mourn. You can be empathetic, but don't mourn. We, we all have our time to mourn. like when we lose our own loved ones and things like that and friends, but we can't mourn with these families. We can be empathetic, supportive and guide them, but don't fall into the mourning part of it. And that stuck with me throughout my career and really helped me through some challenging investigations and very emotional times. Another important way to deal with these matters is surround yourself with people that, from two groups you need a group of of friends that understand what you're doing Mm -hmm. and understand the stress that that causes Mm 
-hmm. And you also need friends from completely different walks of life. Um, you know, I'm proud. I'm, I'm a member of the Masons and I'm proud of that. Mm -hmm. And what, what that does for me is I've met a group of men who no matter what, accept me for who I am. And I never would have met these individuals uh, if it weren't for that particular group. And they really do keep me grounded. Um, you know, they don't ask me a lot of probing questions. And it's sort of an escape for me uh, when I can surround myself with individuals that have no clue what I'm doing. Um, it really does distract and helps get your mind off matters. And, um, you know, other things like staying in shape, being physically active. Those are all important things because far too often, you know, we can drown ourselves in, in, you know, things that aren't so good for us, like excessive drinking and different medications. And it's a slippery slope. So you need to have a strong support system uh, with individuals that understand your work. For me, I was lucky because my wife, uh, you know, being involved with policing, as was her husband and her brother. Uh, so, I have that network. I have that support group. And I also have, uh, you know, lots of other friends outside of policing that are a good distraction for me. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what works for me. But I guess in the end, you just don't mourn, Diana, you know, just be empathetic, but yeah. And, and stay focused on your work. And, but it's okay to have some empathy as you know, because that's what motivates you. you. You want answers and you feel for the family and, and, and I know there's people out there, they, they want to give a tip, they want to call and they're yeah. so close. And I bet you they talk to someone and someone's like, don't get involved, stay away, da, da, da. I know, because people do give tips. And if you ask them, why did it take so long? Because they were scared. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, my, like, Marty is great. He's the associate producer. He does tons to help with all the podcasts, the website, and he knows about the cases and what I go through. And then I have yeah, so I'm very, very grateful I have him for that. And then, of course, animals are amazing. And then, yeah, I, I feel not everyone understands, but then you had a good point. Have two different ones. That makes sense. Instead of just wanting everybody to understand about missing people, I would get frustrated everyone wasn't sharing the cases when it's only a click of a button. Help these families. Yeah. But I understand not everybody can, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, look at policing. It's it has its own very unique culture, uh, one that's it's it's hard to break away from at times. So you need you need to find that you need you need other friends beyond policing because you can't. I mean, when cops get together, that's all you talk about, right? It's just policing, policing, policing. You yes. need a break from that. Yes. You need that. So you know, golf. Take golf for example. There's four hours. You can just go clear your mind and. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's why I could care what I score anymore. It's more about the time away. It's more about time with friends and, you know, enjoying life and things like that. So it's all very important. Very good. Very good. So what are your plans now? You're retired. Any goals? I am retired and it's been such a strange year. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't really got, I haven't got, yeah, I haven't gotten into a routine yet. Yeah. Like my first goal was to get back in shape and then, you know, the gyms are closed. This is closed, but I've been spending a lot of time at the cottage doing projects here and there. Uh, I actually did join a golf league. Nice. So once a, once a week I can get out and, uh, you know, socialize with those individuals and it's a nice break. But as far as work and that is concerned, I'm, I'm content to be retired right now. Uh, I, I, I miss it 
and miss certain aspects of it. But I also needed some air. Like uh, it was a very, you know, busy career and I, I've been working since I was 14. So yeah. Was, so you deserve yeah, it. Just... I just, uh, I'm enjoying just chilling right now, to be honest with you. No, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And you... I can't believe uh, how fast the days go by. It's You know, you get up, you go for a walk, you do something, boom. It's like the day's over. You're cooking dinner. I know. Time we were flies. we were laughing about that the other day because what day is it? Saturday. No, it's not. Every day is Saturday. And we, <laughs> we laugh because it's like we don't even know what day it is anymore. It's already September 1st. How did that happen? But no. you know what? It's, I think... I think my heart goes out to everyone affected with COVID, the people who have passed away. It's horrible. Yep. And then um, I think it's also a time everyone always said they needed more time in life. And guess what? They've got it now. So a lot of people can concentrate on their goals. Like I finished my fifth book, the podcast, we're going strong and wow. we're really trying to help the families. And so we're just using this time the best we can, but I thought it was really important to have you on because I know you're genuine. You're a good person. You have a good heart and you can give what, like I've even, I learned from this interview. I learned some stuff. So I'm sure the families well, of missing loved ones will learn, you know? So. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And I think uh, Diana, the biggest message just to like recap yes. uh, for the, for those families is to make sure that they contact their local police agency and don't assume anything, you know, Make sure the dental records or DNA is correct. Make sure it's loaded into the proper database, as you mentioned. And maintain that point of contact. Don't let that slip away. Because if, if, if you, you know, are actively, uh, you know, seeking answers from the police, then they're more apt to have another look at your case. So you need to be that voice. And individuals like yourself are that voice for, these, for those uh, missing persons. So that's so important. Thank you. And they, I know I spoke to a family the other day and or we were messaging and she said she didn't want to bother the police and just go unannounced. Is it okay that they just show up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, by all means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you need that point of contact because at least in our service, every one of those cold cases is assigned to an investigator. And they may have time to work on it during different times of the year. They may not, depending on what's going on uh, investigatively. So you, you need that point of contact and make sure you get that and, and you know, stay true. And I've also um, interviewed an amazing counselor, Dwayne Bowers. And what I got from his interview, what was really important is that the families they need a counselor to talk to through it because it's not grieving most of the time it's trauma. And so and about them taking care of themselves. So I'm telling families that also, and I guess a shout out to Durham regional police. They're an amazing police service, not just cause I live in Durham because they are amazing. And what can you say about working for them for 32 years? That's amazing. Oh yeah. It was, uh, you know, I'm very proud uh, of our police service and, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of great individuals that work there, uh, you know, both sworn and on the civilian side. Um, and I'm very fortunate. It provided me a great life. Uh, that police service, you know, our training is top-notch. The equipment they provided over the years was always top-notch. And it provided me with a lot of different opportunities. Uh, you know, policing is not mundane and monotonous. And if you have a particular interest, whether that's forensic, accident investigation, canine, TAC, it can provide you with 
a lot of different opportunities where you don't remain stagnated in one position or, you know, completing a repetitive task daily. Um, it's, yeah, I got nothing but praise for, for the Durham Regional Police and, and all the good folks that work there. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, we're just ending now, but I remember just recently the girl who went out in Whippy and she got attacked. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get into the case too much. I seen Paul Martin gave a speech and stuff and the chief and I just thought like, good for Durham Regional Police, you know, they're very proactive, mm -hmm. they're great at what they do and I hope all the criminals can go, I don't know where. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, uh, that was a shocking case, you know, that's a very unusual uh, circumstance across the province and even this country. Uh, something like that occurring where just, you know, random attack by a stranger. Uh, it can send shockwaves through the community. So I'm glad that they were able to, you know, come up with a very fast resolution in that case because it, it weighs on people and communities. And where they people in our communities need to know that they're safe. Uh, and that certainly is a top priority of the Durham Regional Police, right? I mean, you know, safest place to live, work, and play. That's you know, the motto. So, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, one question just came to my head. So there was yep. one one girl, I think Arkansas, and she was 25. Her name was Sydney. I can't remember the last name, blonde. She went out for a jog. She was a nurse. She went out for a jog, and the guy seen her reversed his van, grabbed her, raped her, killed her, and they found her. Um, could have been within two days. And it was really sad, and I thought, you know, you're not even safe to go for walks, for go for runs. Like, what do you need? Do you need two big German shepherds with you? Or is it legal to carry pepper spray? Because someone like me, I don't know. Um, you know, like, yeah. what can you do? I know, stay in a public place, but what advice can yeah. you give to girls out there who go jogging, walking? Well, well the first, first and foremost, uh, if you're set out and you're, you have to be by yourself, make sure somebody knows where you're going and how long you expect to be that's crucial like you already touched on remain in public areas don't be running down isolated bike paths all on your own for example uh, and uh, you know people run around with headphones on well maybe you want to keep one headphone off so you can be more familiar with your surroundings uh, things like that and don't stick to the same routine daily. Switch your routines up because if somebody is, you know, stalking or watching you, you want to break that routine up. So it, it makes you less vulnerable when you can do those things. Mm, okay. Okay. What about, is pepper spray legal or no? Oh, so, oh sorry. Uh, yeah, no, you, you can't arm yourself with um, sprays. I mean, the only spray you can purchase is like bear spray. Um, and is that legal if someone attacks bear, you? bear spray is legal yes um and you know what if you're being attacked it's any means right yeah uh, so yeah i mean you have the right and you're guaranteed the right through uh, the criminal code of canada to protect yourself and defend yourself so yeah i mean you can't arm yourself with tasers and other prohibited weapons uh but you know, um, a loud siren, a whistle, anything like that also works. You want to create as much attention and ruckus as you can. Uh, if you find yourself in that unfortunate circumstance where you're being attacked, you want to create ruckus and fight, you know, uh, do those sorts of things. Yeah, and don't run late at night. And I would say forget about mm -hmm. headphones. 
I see so yeah. many people with headphones and it's like, I just say, get rid of the headphones. Yeah. It, it's better to run with music, but you got to hear what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Maybe just, you know, keep one ear phone off or whatever, but yeah. And running at night in isolated areas is, you know, of course you're increasing your odds of being attacked when you're, when you're doing those sorts of things. Like, yeah. Choose your locations wisely. Make sure people know where you are. Uh, if you can carry your cell phone with you, uh, for a number of reasons to call for help but investigatively you know we can track individuals through cell phones and those sorts of things very good excellent advice so it was fabulous to have you on thank you so much is well, there anything you. you want to say i just want to say thank you to you and and your dedication uh towards your line of work and being a forensic artist and thank you for the friendship Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for the friendship. And, and everyone, thank you for listening to Can I Help Find Your Missing Loved One. Until next time, stay safe and best wishes. And please don't forget to sus subscribe to the podcast. You may be a reason a missing loved one comes home or a murderer is caught and off the streets. So thank you, Chuck. It was great speaking to you. And I think this is the longest episode so far for expert guests. So you you're like a fountain of information and so many people are going to learn so much from you. So be proud of yourself. We're all proud of you and have a great day. Uh, thank you. Take okay, care bye. now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Can I help find your missing loved one is created, produced and hosted by Diana Trepkoff. Associate Producer and Sound Editing by Marty Brown. Please don't forget to call in any tips. Thank you.